true confession. I have not been to the gym in over a year. I'm sorry. Now, I've been, you know, and I have to qualify that, right? Because I try to feel better about myself. But I've been walking and I go on my bike rides and all that. But I have not been at the gym in over a year. And, you know, you can only blame COVID so much. Now, I read an article this past week that may get me back to the gym. It, it's, it's titled, The Hot New Class at Your Gym, Resting. Yeah, yeah. Walk with me here for just a little bit. Um, it's a new workout class. It's actually storming the country. So I want to be in on that, right? It's called... Surrender. That's the class. It's called Surrender. So it's a class, you're going to love this, on rest. Amen? Yes. Listen. So attendees rest on a mat with pillows in a dimly lit room. Huh? And so an instructor leads them through a series of gentle stretches with calming music. Uh, And then after the class, there's a recovery room. There's a recovery room. That's the recovery room. You see it there. It's got a massage lounge chair and compression boots, you know. Uh, And one person said that that this, this workout reminds him of a preschool nap time. I can get into that, huh? It's an, and, and listen to me. It's an hour-long class, and at least in Houston, it's packed. It's packed. I mean, there, there's a waiting list. And, and so here's what the article says. Months of stress and sweatpants have shifted priorities for gym goers, with many saying that they now care more about how they feel versus how they look. Interesting, isn't it? Ah. One 50-year-old man said, For years I focused on intense workouts and never had time for recovery, and now I have found that the sleepy yoga class guarantees good night's rest. Yeah. Hallelujah. I, I read that and I thought, I smell a sermon. Yeah, sign me up. That's right. Anybody here interested in rest? Rest. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about you know, just lying down. So you can lie down and not rest. See? I'm talking about rest, rest. I'm talking about soul rest. I'm talking about possessing a peace and a calm because you know in your soul that God is in control. I'm talking about biblical rest, the calm that overcomes you when God's peace protects you. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about resting your head on the pillow of Christ's promises. Hmm. And today, we are being invited 
into Christ-centered rest. Christ-centered rest. Are you interested in that? Well, would you meet me in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13? If you're here for the first time, uh, so this is the teaching portion of our worship service, and we typically study through a book of the Bible. And we're studying a sermon written 2,000 years ago. That's the letter to the Hebrews. The letter to the Hebrews is actually a sermon manuscript written 2,000 years ago to a house church uh, likely located in Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. And this little house church was persecuted. They'd lost property. They were publicly humiliated. They, They hadn't shed blood. But that's coming. But where they are now is they're just, they're thinking about quitting for a safer religion. They're, they're, they're thinking that rest is contingent on the outward condition of their situation. But the sermon to the Hebrews says otherwise. And their preacher sent them this sermon to encourage their perseverance in Christ. And what we're learning is that Peace and rest are not contingent on the external, rather the internal. It's a condition of the heart, and specifically a heart that is under the protective custody of Christ. In Christ, you have rest. Jesus is the most qualified person to give your heart rest. So the theme of Hebrews is Jesus is Greater. He offers a greater rest. He's greater than the angels. We saw that in chapter 1 and 2. He's greater than Moses, chapter 3. And here in chapter 4, we'll see Joshua, who was the successor to Moses. And why is he greater? He's greater because he offers the benefit of pillow, soft soul rest, deep Rest, eternal rest. Hear these words from the word. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day, today, 
saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, there's a lot here. Um, succinctly, the preacher is giving a sermon on another passage of Scripture. And that other passage, and you, you, he referred to that in verse 5. And again, in this passage, what passage is that? It's Psalm 95. Psalm 95. So chapters 3 and 4 are basically covering Psalm 95. We talked a little bit about that last week, but that's what the reference to this passage is. This is a Christ-centered commentary on Psalm 95. Now, just quickly, Psalm 95, it has three parts. Part 1, God created everything. Part 2, God created us as his people. Part three, there is no other God than God. That's Psalm 95. And so the preacher to the Hebrews uses Psalm 95 to remind his congregation about another text, Psalm 95, which was for that congregation, and I'm preaching to this congregation. And, and the Holy Spirit is speaking in all situations here. And the message is this. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Christ alone is the source of rest. Not your job. Not your kids. Not your retirement account. Not the economy. Just Christ. Just Christ. Christ is the source of our rest. Israel, her, Israel learned this the hard way. And this preacher wants his church to learn from their spiritual ancestors. And this preacher wants us to learn from our spiritual ancestors. We are wise when we learn from experience. We are wiser when we learn from the experience of others. And what we must learn is that there is no rest outside of Christ. Oh, there's pseudo-rest. There's temporary rest, 
but there's not eternal rest outside of Christ. And that's, that's the heartbeat of these verses. And that's really where I'm going today, that there is no rest outside of Christ. There is no rest outside of Christ. That's where I'm going today. Now, let's just see how I got there, all right? Nine times in our text, the preacher uses the word rest. And as I was preparing, I'm asking, well, what does the preacher mean by that? And then what's the significance for us? So today, I just want to answer two questions, two questions. And and the first question is this, what is the meaning of rest? What is rest or what rest is? And then secondly, how can we have rest? How can the, the text answers those two questions, those two concerns. What rest is, that's what I want us to see. And then how rest comes, that's where we're going today. Well, let's consider the first question. What rest is? What rest is? Now, if you were listening as I was reading and as, and as you were reading along, you could sense that the word rest is used in a couple of different ways here, right? So, in fact, there are three ways that the word rest is used, and uh, you have to understand the context. Words are known by the company they keep. So you have to just take a look at what the context is. And, and what we're going to see is that each way that the word rest is used builds on each other leading up to Jesus. All these roads lead to Jesus. You know where I'm going. Now, rest is used in Hebrews chapter 4 to re, in reference to a day. A day. The seventh day. Do you see that in verse 4? For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. Now, why did he say somewhere? I mean, doesn't he know his Bible? Well, you know, he's a preacher. This is rhetoric. This is being heard orally. So uh, that's why he's using that word somewhere. Somewhere. He knows exactly where it is. Do you know where it is? What, what's this reference here in chapter 4, verse 4? For he has spoken of the seventh day in this way somewhere. Where, where is that? Talk to me. Genesis, that's absolutely right. Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. That's the citation there. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. There it is. That's what it says. So rest is something that God does. Something that God does. But, did you hear Genesis 2-2? Why did God rest? Why did God rest? What does Genesis 2-2 say? Why did he rest? I'm, it's been six days. I'm exhausted. Is that why he rested? Why? He was done. He was finished. He, was, he finished his work. That's why. And now that he's finished, he's going to step back. He's going to examine his work. And, 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 and what did God say about his work? Genesis 1.31 is very good. God, God was finished. He steps back. He surveys all of creation. He says, this is really good. I'm pleased. This is, this is really good. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy this. Think about building your home. Think about building a piece of furniture. Think about creating a meal. And when it's done, you're done. And you cease. Why? Because it's just right. It's just right. It's good. It's very good. And that's the sense here. So, so here, in this sense, rest, here it is, is the enjoyment of accomplishment over the celebration of completion. The enjoyment of accomplishment over the celebration of completion. And furthermore, Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 says that God hallowed, hallowed the seventh day. That is, he blessed it. He made it holy. Think about that for a minute. Walk with me here. What is made holy? Not an object, not a practice. Instead, the time of your life. That's what's made holy. So how do you make time holy? What does God say we need to do to make time holy? Rest. Cease. Desist from income-producing labor. And you have to understand how unique this was in the ancient world. I mean, other Pagan cultures at that time, I'm thinking of the Babylonians and the Assyrians, they had their own Sabbath days, but those were considered days of bad luck. Those were considered days to avoid pleasure so as to evade misfortune. In contrast, God's Sabbath was intended to be a festive, worshipful, joyful, communal, and refreshing experience. It's a memorial to the God who upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so every week we return to the beginning in order to be like God. Rest. So no wonder then that the seventh day was enshrined in the Ten Commandments. Because God wanted his image bearers and and their beasts of burden to step away from the stress and toil of labor. And into the direction of community and worship and trust. And that's why in Exodus 20, Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11, the Sabbath day is, is a day of rest and trust. And everyone was given this gift. Everyone. Citizen, non-citizen, farm animals, uh, owner, uh, laborer. Uh, Once a week, the entire world hierarchy was suspended. So, So the question is, can you trust that God will sustain your work and the works of millions of others in the world if we step away one day in seven? That's the question. Uh, and, you know, Israel was tested on this over and over again. And in, in the wilderness, they were told, you know, I want you to gather enough manna, food, for one day on days one through five. Okay? Just daily. Don't, 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 don't hoard on days one through five. Get enough for the day, days one through five. On day six, gather enough for two days. Okay? Because on day seven... Restaurants closed, right? No, no, no food from heaven on day seven, okay? 
And, and of course, you know, they, they just tested God in this. So they tried to hoard on days one through five. And the very next day, you know, the, the, what they hoarded was just maggot infested. Ugh, scripture says. In the Hebrew, that's what it says. Huh? Uh, but then, you know, they thought, okay, you know, we'll, we'll come on day seven. And, uh, well, there was nothing. And they were hungry. Can you trust that God will come through? Can you trust that this burden that you're carrying is not yours to carry alone? Can, can we trust God to carry us if we have enough faith to stop striving and start worshiping? See? Now, quickly. Um, historically, Sunday became the new Sabbath in the, in the history of the church. Paul said, though, and look this up in Romans 14, 5. Romans 14, 5. Paul said that whatever day you choose should be in accordance with your own conscience. Okay? So pick a day is what the Apostle Paul says. But the, point, the point, though, is are we trusting God? Are we trusting God? So, you know, when people say, well, do I still have to obey this command? It shows they don't understand that it's really a gift. It's a gift, and, and, and it shows that we don't understand the generosity of the giver. So God, God wants us to cease working and celebrate him and enjoy community and feel his smile over us. God made the Sabbath for, for us. He did not make us for the Sabbath. And some of us feel like we always have to keep doing something or pressing or plotting or planning or fretting or worrying, trying to prove ourselves to our parents or spouse or children or church or bosses. And Exodus 20, God is saying, you don't have to prove anything because the world doesn't depend on you. The world depends on me. So, so rest. Rest as a day of trust. That's the first way rest is used in the letter to the Hebrews. Ah, but there's more. There's more, there's more. The preacher not only uses the word rest as a day to celebrate. Um, look at chapter 4, verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. So enter it. So rest is not just a day to observe and celebrate, rest is a destination to enter. Do you get that? It's a day to enter. Uh, that's why verse 1 begins with, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. So in this sense, rest is code for the promised land. The promised land. Now recall Recall Israel's history, that Egypt had enslaved Israel. God, through Moses, delivered Israel through the miracle of the Red Sea. Then God led Israel into the wilderness, but they weren't home yet. They weren't home yet. See, they needed a place to call home. And so the land of promise was the place of rest where they could settle and live in cities and build a culture and worship and have a homeland and Moses led Israel out of Egypt. Joshua led Israel into Canaan. And at the cusp of entering their promised rest, disaster struck. Remember? 
Remember, remember, it's Numbers 14, Numbers 14. After witnessing all that they had witnessed, the plagues from Pharaoh, on Pharaoh, the miracle of the Red Sea, the giving of the manna, the, the, the water flowing from the rock in the, in the desert, the giving of the law, when it came time to enter the promised rest, they balked. This is too much. People in Canaan are giants. We're grasshoppers. We're never going to make it. Joshua and Caleb said, we can make it. God is good. We can trust him. He's with us. And the people did not believe and instead rebelled. Take us back. In Numbers 14, God says, well, you're not going back to Egypt. And those of you, 20 and over, because you chose not to believe, you're going to die in the wilderness. And I'll just wait every one of you out. And your children will be shepherds in the wilderness. And they will enter the land of promise. See? They will enter the land of promise. And, and, and of course, you know, after God said this, Numbers 14 says that the very next day, the people said, oh, no, we're sorry, we're sorry. We're going to go up and take the land. And Moses said, don't go. God said, don't go. You'll get routed. Well, we'll go. They went. And what happened? They were routed. See? So, so it's a time-sensitive issue here, right? We need to trust God when he says, trust me. And not a moment later. And afterwards... 40 years, God, through Joshua, led Israel into the land of promised rest. But then look at these curious verses in verses 8 through 10. Do you see it? For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Huh? What's that about? Well, quickly, when Israel did in fact enter the land of promise, uh, all was not well because they didn't trust God even when they got there. And eventually, after the patience of God was exhausted, the Assyrians came and then the Babylonians came and they were hauled out of the land because while, while they entered the rest, it was, they couldn't keep the rest because, they, because resting requires trusting, and Israel had a problem with that. And so they just had this cycle of rest in God, distrusting God, return to God, rest in God, distrust God, return to God, rinse and repeat. And so the Hebrew, the Hebrew preacher says... Let's, can, we need to learn from our spiritual ancestors. See, see, our, our, see our, the biggest deception that the preacher seeks to dispel is the deception of, well, it's not going to happen to me. It's, it, that's not, it's not going to happen to me. The preacher says, no, listen, we need to learn. We need to learn. And then the preacher says, let me tell you, about another Joshua, another Joshua. So Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, 
Jesus. Joshua and Jesus are spelled the same in the original Greek language. And, and, and the name means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. And what the Hebrew preacher is getting at is Jesus, who is the truer and better Joshua. The salvation and rest given through Joshua was never meant to be the final rest for the people of God. The, the earthly rest in the land under Joshua looks to the heavenly rest given in Jesus Christ. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's Hebrews 13, 14. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So rest as a day becomes rest as a destination, which becomes rest as deliverance. Deliverance, that's the third way the word uh, 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 rest is used in Hebrews 4. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, still stands. The promise is, is still alive. So God is still offering rest today. And it's through the gospel because the gospel is foremost about God's generous promise to give what we can never earn in our own efforts. The gospel insists that our ultimate deliverance is through the ultimate deliverer, Jesus Christ, who in these last days God has spoken through his son. For it is fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons and daughters to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So the gospel is the announcement of ultimate rest in Christ. The gospel is the good news of the deliverer. The gospel is the broadcast of the literal Space-time event whereby Jesus of Nazareth was tortured on a cross, cursed in our place, then bodily raised from death so that in him we might be raised from death. The gospel offers forgiveness of sins and rebirth in God. The gospel is about God's all-sufficient work in Christ to redeem us. The gospel is how God rescues us from Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave. The gospel is not about how to be a better person, how to be a better agent for social change, how to have a better life, how to enjoy better health. It's not about how to be more successful or more prosperous. Rather, the gospel proclaims God's all-sufficient work through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel has one subject, Christ. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. Christ appeared. Who Christ is and what Christ did constitute rest. Rest. Come to me, Jesus said. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. Jesus offers rest. Rest from the past, rest from guilt, rest from shame, rest from regret, rest from performancism, performancism, rest from our own failed standards, from our own failed. We, we can't even keep our own standards, let alone God's. It's a rest from and a rest in, rest in him, rest in hope. Rest in peace, rest in security. Rest. See, it all, it, all, it all builds to Christ, doesn't it? Now, here's the deal. <laughs> you already know everything I've just said. You, you already know this. He said, why is he saying something I already know? They needed it back then. We need it. We just need to keep preaching the gospel over and over to ourselves. That rest is, rest is a day, but it's more than a day. Rest is a destination hope, but yeah, but it's more than a destination. Rest is grounded in deliverance by a deliverer, and his name is Jesus. That's what rest is. Now, here is how rest comes. Here is how rest comes. Verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. You see that? We who have... So, big idea coming at you. The benefits of resting in Christ come only to believers in Christ. The benefits of resting in Christ come only to believers in Christ. So then, so then, let us have faith, let us fear, and let us fight. Faith, fear, and fight. That's how rest comes, faith. Faith is how we enter rest. Faith is how we interact. For, see, for the good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So, so Israel's failure shows that we need more than just to hear the word. Hearing and believing are not the same. Faith is resting on, relying on, depending on the only one who can save us, Jesus And verse 7 says, he appoints a certain day, today. So today, if you hear his voice, today. So some of us have heard, and that's all. And we've been coming here for a long time, and we're just hearing. That's not sufficient. That's not sufficient. We must unite our hearing with faith. So I'm inviting you to trust in what I just said in part one. That's what I'm inviting you to. And it's time sensitive. So says the Lord. Today. 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 Uh, Verse 10 is one of the most succinct definitions of Christianity. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So the gospel is not about my works. It's not about my moral improvement. 
The gospel is not about religious busyness. It's not seven steps to a better you. The gospel is resting from our works by trusting in Christ's work. And it's time to respond today. If you hear his voice, receive Christ today. I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you if you haven't, to trust Christ. And then I want to invite you to the YMCA tonight at 5.30. 5.30. There are t-shirts. Grab one, pull one on, and meet me in the pool. It's going to become a baptistry at 5.30. And we're going to have some baptisms, and I don't know how many. And if there's one, or I, we're, we're going to show up. But I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you if you have not made that decision yet. And, and if you've not expressed your faith in baptism, I'm going to invite you to do that. Okay? Baptism does not impart salvation. Baptism demonstrates salvation. So I want to invite you to that. Today. Don't put it off anymore. Today's the day. Faith. And then fear, fear, verse one, let us fear, let us fear. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, um, so a couple weeks ago, I recently installed a new thermostat at home. Uh, and notice I said, I did. And, and, and that's a true statement. I did. So it's, I counted a uh, Randall Bolton House personal victory is what it was. You know, it's a, it's, it, was, it was on my bucket list. You know, um, you know go to Italy, uh, install thermostat. <laughs> and so, I, so I, I did this. I did this thing. And, um, so, and then they, they had instructions. I, I read the instructions. I read the instructions. Uh, and the instructions... Warned, before installation, go to your circuit breaker box and turn off the electricity. Okay? Okay. Which I did. Why? Let us fear lest Randall Boltinghouse be electrocuted. I mean, it was right there in the instructions. You know, not really. Well, not my name, but that's how I read it. Okay? Don't. Don't assume. Don't assume on the circuit breaker. Turn the thing off. You get it? Have a sober respect for God's powerful capacities. Have a sober respect for God's powerful capacities. Uh, a preacher, a preacher named John Calvin once said, he was talking about this verse, but the fear, which is in verse 1, is not that which shakes the confidence of faith, but such as fills us with such concern that we grow not sluggish with indifference. Let us then fear, not that we ought to tremble or entertain distrust as though uncertain as to the issue, but lest we be unfaithful to God's grace. So, let us fear. Let us fear means take God seriously. Take, take your faith as seriously as you do your circuit breaker box. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, don't waste today. Don't presume upon the kindness of the Lord. Don't presume upon the kindness of the Lord. Faith, fear, and then fight. Fight. Faith is a fight. 
it is. And so, and so verse 11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. It's paradoxical, isn't it? It's one of those last shall be first and first shall be last. The greatest is the least and the leader is the servant. Let us fight for rest. We must strive to rest. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to tell you what Jesus said, and you're probably not going to like it, but here's the deal. Yeah. Luke 9.23 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So, so you can have rest in Christ. All you need to do is die. All you need to do is you die to yourself, die to your ego, die to your agenda, die to the American dream, die to all the ladders you keep propping up against all the walls that lead to nowhere, die to the grinding pursuit of doing more and trying harder. You have to surrender your life to Christ. You have to die daily daily. In a world of treadmills and rowing machines, Jesus offers rest. But you must go to class. You must surrender. You must surrender your life. And you know what? One day you will. One of these days you're going to stop breathing. Your heart's going to stop beating. God only knows when that day is, but it's going to happen. And what Jesus offers is the chance to die right now. So it's, it's more than just praying a prayer. It's more than a one-and-done situation. You must lay down your life every morning of every day. You must wake up and take up your cross as often as you put it down. So many voices are wooing us back to the treadmill in the name of productivity or success or accomplishment. But Jesus has flipped the circuit breaker. Apart from me, he said, you can do nothing. Nothing. John 15, 5. So, so stop asking, am I bearing enough fruit for Christ? That the fruit of the Spirit is called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Randall. Only the Spirit of Christ can resource any fruit in anyone. Jesus says, whoever abides in him will bear much fruit. It's a promise. It's an absolute certainty. So the question isn't, am I bearing fruit? That's not the question. The question is, am I trying to do anything apart from Christ? That's the question. A lack of effort is not the enemy of fruit bearing. Self-sufficiency is. And apart from our own egos and efforts, Jesus ran the race. He climbed the cross was taken to the tomb, and God raised him. And if you're in him, he's going to raise you too. So you're free to step off the treadmill. We're free to die before we die so that we can taste the living waters of salvation. We're finally free to rest in Christ. Finally.